welcome to the PowerCat Podcast, GoPowerCat.com's Kansas State Athletic Show. Now, here's your host, GoPowerCat publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. Welcome to this edition of the PowerCat Postgame Podcast. Kansas State handles Troy 42-13. And Bill Snyder Family Stadium on Saturday morning, a beautiful day at the Bill. Might have gotten a little hot down on the field. But it was lovely at kickoff, temperatures rose, and K-State had a little test on its hands. We knew Troy would be good, and they delivered, but so did K-State. Tim Fitzgerald and Cole Carmody, your team for all the post-game podcasts. And, of course, Brian Hanley now is part of the cast for the Insiders. We go live every Monday afternoon at 1.30. You can find it on our YouTube channel, Go Cat. Make sure you check that out. And if you can't watch it live, that's cool. The replay will be up on YouTube at Go Cat. It's also a podcast that you can pick up on our podcast network as this is. And make sure you're subscribing to our podcast network, whatever you uh, like. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast so that you get an alert every time it pops up. You don't miss an episode. 42-13, as I mentioned, a score that does not reflect the effort in which K-State needed to offer to win this game. Troy is good. Cole Carmody, give me your initial thoughts. Uh, it's hard because you look at the score and you say 42-13, to 13, not much could have gone wrong. And K-State probably dominated the whole game. If you didn't watch the game, if you are just someone who's a gambler and you just bet on K-State and you saw the score, you probably would think, oh, well, they did exactly what they needed to do, and you'll probably do the same with K-State at Missouri next week. We'll have plenty of time to talk about that, which, I, by the way, that line is just absolutely incredible. It's crazy. Um, but I thought K-State, honestly, today, you meant they had to work for everything. Nothing came easy. And in a day in which you won by almost 30 points, a day in which nothing came easy, that is usually a pretty good sign Um for K-State. Yeah. I think that there was a lot of things they can learn from this game that they did right, but there's also a lot of things that they didn't do right, uh, which they can even take more away from. So overall, I don't think you could ask for a better day. Uh, I, we didn't hear about any injuries, which is always a good thing. Chris Kleiman didn't say anything about any injuries after the game. Uh, after the first game, he didn't say anything about Jake Clifton. I don't think we knew about Jake Clifton at the time, but um, yeah, I just thought it was an overall extremely positive Saturday morning and afternoon. Okay. With all that said, let's go over some of the issues K-State mm-hmm. faced. Will Howard wasn't his normal sharp self. He was 21 of 32, three TDs, and an uh, interception in there was sacked once. That was not his fault again. Um, didn't have much time to react on that one. I thought Will was trying to force the ball. And I asked him in the post game. He said, absolutely. He was trying to hit the home run when the home run wasn't there, and that's what led to the interception. But it got to be a trend where he was locking in on receivers, often in double coverage deep, and it made it really difficult on him. And then he hit a huge one in the second half to Jaden Jackson, the same thing. What an incredible catch by Mm -hmm. Jackson, who's emerged as a promising receiver in this rotation with Keegan Johnson out who played in the second half. But give me your thoughts as uh, Will Howard was pretty critical of himself in the postgame, and I think it was deserved. 
Yeah, I don't think he had the best game. I don't think he played bad. I mean, you look at the stats and 21 of 32, 250 yards, three touchdowns with one interception. I think every single K-State fan will take that every single day. Um, you know, there there was a time not too long ago where a K-State quarterback throwing for 250 yards. It didn't matter what happened. If that happened, that was a good day. Um he did make some really impressive throws. Yeah. Like there is things about Will Howard that have improved, but I think the most, uh, the biggest improvement has come in his ability to just drop the ball down in the bucket. And you talked about that catch from Jaden Jackson, but let's not skip over the fact that that was an incredible throw. He mm-hmm. put that ball in the only place where Jaden Jackson could catch it. And it was, it was honestly, it was incredible. And yeah, the interception was not good, but he was hard on himself, and I think that's what makes him the kind of quarterback that he is. He's understanding. He knows how to read defenses. And when something doesn't go right, he learns from it. Um, so, yeah, I really thought he played the ball, and he played through the ball really well, and I thought he ran the ball exceptionally well. That's something that we haven't seen him do. He didn't – correct me if I'm wrong, Fitz, but I don't remember him doing that last year. And maybe it's because of Adrian and him being hurt, and then you had Rubley as the backup at that time, and maybe they feel like – you know, if something does happen to Will, you've got a guy in Avery who can come in, but he ran the ball well, too. So, uh, yeah, I mean, again, eight carries for 41 yards. That does include sack yardage. So I would have to imagine that the the actual yardage is a little bit higher than that. Yep, it was. Nice day for running the ball for Will. Let's t- stick with the passing game, though. Jaden Jackson, four targets, four catches for 77 yards and a touchdown. Again, he scored the first touchdown of this game, too. So if you had Jaden Jackson scoring the first touchdown of the first two games, uh, I hope you won a lot of money because I don't know where you got that book to even have that on the line. Yeah. Nobody saw that coming. Phillip Brooks, though, was the main guy who was targeted nine times in this game. He caught the ball seven times, had a really nice touchdown off of a catch because Jaden Jackson threw a beautiful downfield block right before halftime, allowing Phil Brooks to turn the corner and get into the end zone. It was a really nice play overall for K-State. Phillip also had a rushing touchdown, so a double touchdown day. They threw the ball eight times in R.J. Garcia's direction. They did a good job bottling him up. Only three catches for R.J. Keegan Johnson, as I mentioned, played in the second half. Four targets, three catches, 25 yards. Overall, Trishon Ward also had a receiving touchdown in the game. Overall, I like where the receivers are at, and it's because of Jaden Jackson. We knew what the top three guys were. They've been talking about Keegan, even though he didn't play the first six quarters of the season. We knew he was good. We knew Phillip Brooks probably would take a step forward. He has. And, of course, uh, R.J. Garcia has been really reliable. But having Jaden Jackson emerge as a fourth receiver, and we saw him late in the game, you know, he'd been playing in replacement of Keegan Johnson. And we saw him on the field with Keegan Johnson late in the game. I think that said a lot of their new grown faith in this guy. He's making plays. K-State's receivers now are better than the receivers have been in years. I mean, I'm not even just going to say they're better than last year because they are better than last year. But I cannot remember a receiving core that was this deep. Um, because between Phillip Brooks, between R.J. Garcia, Jaden Jackson, and now Keegan Johnson, those are four legitimate threats downfield threats that can make a big play at any time last year you didn't have that right as much as people love Cade Warner he was not a downfield threat did he have a few occasions where he would catch a big you know he'd make a big play yes but that was because he beat somebody one-on-one 
he's never he was never able to get past the corner, get past the safety, be open down the field, make a big play. All four of those guys can do that now. You have home run hitters, and while Will likes to, we know Will likes to throw those home runs. Uh, it just makes this receiving core that much better. And Fitz, you didn't even say Ben Sinnott. He had one catch for five yards. So the fact that they were able to do all of this on offense without Ben Sinnott just goes to show you how many options they have. And it, it's exciting for this team because the offense is only beginning to take the yep. to take these steps towards being great. After the game, Will Howard said you could hear the defense shouting out 34-34. So they were making sure the tight end didn't punish them. They gave up 42 points, but this Troy defense was legit. They kept K-State overall. Let me see here. K-State had... Where is it? Why can't I find these numbers? 397 yards of total offense. That doesn't add up to 42 points to me. No. I mean, I thought that was um, a little bit deceiving. K-State had 250 yards of passing because Troy's run defense was fantastic. And it gave the line plenty of lessons to learn. The line is out of whack. There's no doubt about it. Without Christian Duffy... Uh, we we, we got to just say it. Carver Willis had another bad day. He just isn't ready to hold up against it. And Troy had some outstanding pass rushers, and he gave, for the second straight week, a guy coming off the edge with a free shot at his quarterback. Man, that, that's just going to get you on the bench. They're going to have to stick with BB at the right tackle spot until Duffy's back, which might be which might be next week. Chris Kleiman said in his post game press conference that he start he went back to practice on Wednesday and Thursday. So if it really is a major need, maybe he comes back. Yeah, and or maybe he just backs it up. But what happens there is now you've got Taylor Portier, who Kleiman said is rusty. Even though he was an outstanding lineman before his two knee injuries, he's just rusty. hasn't really played in two years, and. You move Panzer over to the left guard spot where BB's supposed to be. So you got some disorganization there. You got a lot of experience, but not in these spots. And it showed up. K-State averaged only 3.9 yards a rush. Granted, there's some, as you mentioned, sack yardage that comes out of that. Treshawn Ward, 16 carries, 58 total. DJ Giddens, 12 carries, 52 total. Will Howard, 8 carries, 33 I was impressed by the Troy defense. And Will Howard went as far to say it's one of the best defenses, if not the best he's faced, when I'm like, yeah, dude, he played Alabama. The Sugar yeah. Bowl. They're probably not that good, but they were good. They were athletic and flew to the ball. Yeah, and I mean, I think the offensive line situation is interesting because there is a lot of things that they can do with the offensive line because you have a guy in Cooper Beebe who is so ver- versatile. Um but you're right. Like, I just feel like he has to play right tackle right now. He has to. I mean, it's it's nothing against Carver Willis, but it is. It is. I, you know, I know we don't want to say bad things about kids, but you cannot get your quarterback nailed two weeks in a row. I feel just, like Connor Riley and Chris Kleiman realize that now. And if they were maybe had their blinders on and said, all right, it was a tough first game, but we still believe in this kid. And I, I do still he think started. they believe him. Yeah, he, he started. Wouldn't start so if they they didn't obviously believe him. did believe in him. But after the game, it was pretty telling. And, you know, I tried to put it as elegantly as possible in the post-game press conference and asked Coach Kleiman, hey, did you, did you guys feel like you kind of found your five in the second half? And Without saying, yes, we have our five starters now, um, it was pretty obvious that I think the plan going forward is maybe you give Carver Willis a drive against Missouri, and if something happens, you put in BB. But if I'm Chris Kleiman, 
I'm going 60-40 at the, at, with reps. Cooper, you're playing right tackle in practice. And 60% of the time, 40% of the time, you're playing guard because you need to be prepared to get in there at right tackle. Okay, so it won't be the same until they get Duffy back. No. They just won't. It's kind of amazing. But the guy had started so many games. What is he? In the 35. 35? Yeah. Incredible. And then that came to an end last week. Um, one more offensive thought. I was a little surprised we didn't see either backup quarterback in one of those late drives. Yeah, it was a little surprising. I thought they might try and get Jake in there just after how they handled the whole situation with Avery, um, especially that last drive. Now, granted, they took over after a fourth down stop and K-State went and scored a touchdown. And maybe it was as much as they wanted to make sure that Will still had that confidence. They want to see him play a full game because there is something to that. I be- I truly believe there's something to starting a game and finishing a game. And against a team like Troy, they had their starters in, right? So if K-State would have put their twos in, they would be going twos against ones. If it's twos against twos, it's a little bit different. That's kind of what happened with Simo. Avery was in there with against against some of the backups. But, yeah, I mean, I, I would have liked – honestly, I would have liked to have seen Jake ahead of Avery in two. this game. I would have too. I, and special teams showed some signs of life here. We had a kind of a bad punt by Jack Bloomer to start the game in which he kicked it about 80 yards in the air. But, unfortunately, he was kicking to a short field and gave him a touchback. But Phillip Brooks popped up. He was on the kickoff return team. The main guy back, 45 yards in kickoff uh, yardage, 37 in punt return yardage with his 94 through the air, his two yards rush. He had 178 all-purpose yards. Have a day, Phil Brooks. They didn't get the big return, but he was damn close on one of them. Yeah, I I thought special teams was really good today, Fitz. Um, Phil Brooks, it, it, it amazes me because he is not the fastest guy in the world. But he just finds a way, and I think it talks about K-State's punt return team and how special that unit has been. Um, a guy who played today who didn't play in the first game was Ty Bowman. If you go back at that really long punt return, he was the guy who was out there lead blocking for Phillip Brooks. That ended up being a really big play. You mentioned Jack Bloomer, though. I was actually really impl- impressed with him today. There was some punts he had, I want to say besides, off the top of my head, besides that punt that went in for the end zone for a touchback, I believe every other punt was inside the 20 and maybe even the 15, which was a big deal because K-State was consistently getting three and outs in the second half and forcing Troy to punt. That's why when you look at the total yardage, they only have less than 400 total yards, but 42 points. So right. that, that's, that's where that comes from. It's from special teams. So shout out to Jack Bloomer, honestly. I think yeah. he was one of the stars of the game. He did have three out of his five inside the 20. Average 39.2. Would have been over 40 if he hadn't kicked that one ball mm-hmm. to the Mars mm-hmm. and tried to kick it out of bounds or something. But overall, uh, special teams took a step forward. Let's move over to defense. Um, I don't know what we're going to talk about in the second half of this podcast, but let's talk. About <laughs> it's like the press conference. It's going yeah, quick. Yeah, exa- exactly. It was a weird press conference. Um, Troy came in with a great running game. That's what they're known for. They're a, this is a old school, play tough defense, run the ball at you, throw it enough to, to mess with you. They got great receivers Got a quarterback who we've talked about in the pregame show. And I'm like, he's a game. He's a manager. He's a, you know, he's not a big play guy. He had some nice throws, but Kamani Vidal, I think that's how you pronounce mm-hmm. his first yep. name, yep. came in. They were raving about him. He'd had, you know, gone over 200 yards, a number of games. Um, and they held him to 83 net, but 
46 of it came on one run out of 17 carries. <laughs> yeah. He's good, but the K-State defense outside that one play just completely took him out. So essentially it was 16 for 45. I mean, what he was able to do um, in the previous game, 285 yards, uh, was not going to ever happen against K-State just because of how dominant K-State's front seven can be at times. But I was – I mean, it was – first of all, let's just say the play calling on Troy's part when the game was close – I was I was a little disappointed. If I'd be a little disappointed if I was a Troy fan because fourth and one twice they try and run the ball right up the middle and they get stuffed both times with nine linemen in the game and a quarterback and a running back. That is unacceptable if you're Troy. But I mean, K State was able to do things defensively today that like, it was impressive. And and Uso, I know we talked about Uso a little bit in the last game. He is legit fits. Like I had some question marks coming into the season. They talked about how the, all the improvements that he's made, but he's legit. They tried to single block him, and it it was stupid. It didn't work. It, it, they had to double him, and even when they doubled him, he would still hold his own and free up a Daniel Green and an Austin Moore yep. to make tackles. He is a difference maker. Yeah, I mean, it's remarkable. He had two tackles in the game, and people look at that and go, we didn't do it. He occupied so much personnel during the course of the game. Every time they tried to take him on single, he was somewhere in their face. So um, as we continue with the defense, four sacks in the game. Khalid Duke, by the way, folks, Khalid. I, asked, I asked him after the game, is it Khalid or Khalid? And he said, technically, it's Khalid. I don't think he's too worried about it, uh, or he would have punched me in the face. But uh, he had a great game. And, you know, people have been saying, look, watch out for him. I know Felix Andy DK Zama was big time. He's all Big 12, you know, all defensive player of the year, all that stuff. But Khalid Duke is back at defensive end. He's going to tear people up. Two impressive, important sacks in this game out of the four. All four came from the defensive end spot. He is going to finish the year as the Big 12 sack leader. He's If he stays healthy, right. he will finish the year as the sack leader. How many did Felix have last year? Like 12? I can't remember. It wasn't that much, and he was the sack I, I, I think Felix, or Felix. Felix. Sorry, Felix. Sorry, Khalid. I think Khalid will finish with double-digit sacks this year. I would agree. And he's already at three. Now, is he going to get the Felix treatment and get double teams here soon? If there's anybody that would do it, it would be Mizzou. Uh, after a guy who just got a two sack performance, but I, I got to bring up Toby Osinsami because right. he came running out there, and I think everybody was like, "What are they going to rush to? Like, what is he doing?" And then he puts his hand in the ground, and he gets to the quarterback. He gets a sack at the very end of the game. Um, I don't believe they actually counted it as a sack because yes, it was. Oh, they did. Yep. Okay. Um, but yeah, like, oh my goodness, like those are some scary guys coming off the edge. Nate Matlack had a sack today as well. So um, yeah, it was the pass rush. If you were worried about the pass rush, you shouldn't be anymore because oh. these guys are legit. I don't think Toby's a linebacker anymore. No, no, he, that that transition is going to be coming pretty quickly. My gosh, I, he just he would he didn't even try to get around the block. He just puts. He shoves the tackle into the backfield. And on a long, third and long, if you're the quarterback, uh, no. Yeah. I mean, you you can take the guy trying to go around the corner and you step up in the pocket. But when he's just shoving your tackle back in your face, you're a little preoccupied by that. He, he was a force to be reckoned with. Um, leading tacklers in the game, Austin Moore and Will Lee with six apiece. Kind of shows how you know, diverse the defensive performance was. But Willie with the interception, dude, this guy's really good. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's really good. And we saw Marquis Siegel play his first 
time and he comes crashing downhill on run situations. Is the defense better this year? I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad you brought that up, and I am here for that because I, I'm leaning towards yes. It, who would have thought that replacing two NFL cornerbacks in Echo Boydo and Julius Sprints, that you could get better at that position? But I'm going to tell you right now, Jacob Parrish is better than Echo Boydo was last year, and that is no shade at Echo because Echo no. was a great Big 12 corner. He's, he's on a practice squad in the NFL. But what I've seen from Jacob these first two games, I, I it's it's honestly incredible because the plays he's making, uh, Echo didn't make those last year, and it's nothing against Echo, but Jacob is that good. I mean, he is a legitimate number one corner. Do you know how hard it is to run on a receiver's hip that tight without getting tangled up with him and not holding on to him? And there he was the whole game, basically right on the receiver's hip, and he's sticking his hand out. And deflecting passes. I think we saw one play in which he could have been called for a hook, but he wasn't. He was just relentless all day. I can't believe how good he is. This kid was under-recruited, hardly recruited other than K-State. And here he is. You know, last year he's playing significant minutes against Alabama. Now he's starting as a true sophomore. Will Lee steps in. You know, Marquis Siegel steps into the back end of the defense. Kobe Savage is playing like he did. He got called for a ridiculous holding yeah. call. <laughs> he just, just brushed it off. He's like, yes. It, just, it was, this crew wasn't the yeah. best. But um, I love this defense. And that's not mentioned VJ Payne. Who's, yeah. Who's just amazing. Well, they're young, right? Like, that. Yeah. I think I walked away from today, and this is probably a topic for the second half, but I walked away today more excited about the future of this program than last week. And last week it was fun to watch all those true freshmen play. But this week it was fun to watch those guys that you had question marks about play because the speed that they saw today is going to be the speed they see in the Big 12. The thing that we were trying to tell people this week, Troy is a good football yep. team. The difference between Power 5 football teams and Group of 5 football teams is the interior. I think we saw that today. Yeah. Troy's offensive line, not the greatest, right? They 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 struggled to block Khalid Duke and Toby, um, but the skill position guys. I mean, we can go down the line. The skill position receiver, Chris Lewis, uh, from Troy. I mean, this is a kid who started at Kentucky, makes two amazing one-handed catches. That's going to be a type of receiver that K-State sees in the Big 12. And I thought the secondary, the young secondary specifically, looked outstanding. Yeah, it it really is. I mean, you used to go down this depth chart. Jacob Parrish, of course, as I mentioned, is a sophomore. The other corner, Will Lee, comes in as a transfer. Folks, he's a sophomore. Your safety's in. Kobe Savage is the lone senior. B.J. Payne, sophomore. Marquis Siegel, junior. And they're playing two true freshmen back there. Colby McAllister, Savage's backup. And then you also have Jack Fabris running around. He was out there late again. So I don't think either one of those guys are going to redshirt. And that means they will have a full secondary plus others with plenty of playing experience. It's impressive. It really is. It's 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 very impressive. And it is remarkable because who would have thought? That the second game of the year. Now, Fitz, they're going to be tested. 
Missouri's receiving core is legit. Right. That is one of the better receiving cores they will see all year. So they will be tested. We will know for sure going into week four, we will know for sure if K-State's cornerbacks and their secondary is legitimate because they will face a good test at Mizzou. Say what you want to say. We're going to have plenty of time to talk about that. But the defense, I mean, the defense was today was amazing. Like the linebacking core, it's like the exact opposite, right? Like you Mm -hmm. have your young secondary, then you have your veteran linebacking core and Daniel Green and Austin Moore. And, I told you this when we were sitting up in the press box, but Austin Moore is going to go down as one of the most underappreciated linebackers to ever play at K-State because he is really damn good. Let's come back to that topic right after this break here on the Powercat Postgame Podcast. Tim Fitzgerald, Cole Carmody right here in the Cats and Dogs studio. And one of the dogs wants into the door. I had to let her out of the door. Now she wants into the door. So we'll be right back. GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat podcast continues after this short break. Welcome back to the PowerCat podcast. Welcome back to the PowerCat postgame podcast. We don't have a sponsor. We're sponsored by K-State fans that love GoPowerCat.com. We appreciate all the views we're getting on the YouTube channel, all the downloads with our podcasts, But make sure you're subscribing to Go Powercat so you can get the VIP stuff, including my five keys to victory and all the rest of the uh, stuff that goes on behind the scenes with Go Powercat, kind of the inside scoop we share on the message board, recruiting by Ryan Wallace, all that good stuff. Make sure you're subscribing to Go Powercat. 42-13 Kansas State beats Troy in a game that was more competitive than the score, but the score is the score. K-State found a way to get it done, and they – they held Troy at bay every time they started to move the ball with a few exceptions. But again, Austin Moore is just, as you were mentioning, yeah. good Lord. He's just so exact in everything he does. He's in the right place doing the right thing. He shoots gaps when, you know, it's a running play. Austin Moore just shoots through a gap that the running back probably should have seen and just nails guys. It's, it's fun to watch him. It is. And you combine him with Daniel Green, and you have two guys who have significant minutes. And the best part about, if you're a K-State fan, the best part about all of this is that you get to know that your team comes back with two true freshmen that are backing those guys up that will be there for the three years following. And let's not let's not take this out of consideration that Austin Moore still has another year to come back if he wants to. Does he have an NFL future? I don't know. I doubt it. Would have I mean, unless he can play safety, back? but I don't think he's fast enough for safety. I mean, so that that might be one of those guys that you look at like a Daniel Green, who nobody expected to come back. Austin Moore could be one of those guys that decides to come back for another year. But just be happy that you have a Daniel Green and an Austin Moore in front of an Austin Romaine and, and Asa Newsom, both of who had a very big impact on the game. Um, Austin Moore, or excuse me, Austin Romaine finished with three tackles, had a significant impact. And once again, I mean, Asa Newsom, he just seems to make plays whenever he's in the game. He only had one tackle, but uh, he just he's always around the ball. So, yeah, both of those guys. I mean, who would have thought that they're two playing, true freshmen would be backing up these veterans? They're playing four true freshmen on defense that apparently are not going to redshirt. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it, it's not because they're desperate. It's because they're that good. Throwing can Nigel Thomas. He was another guy who played special teams the oh, whole yeah. entire game today, which makes me think he's going to be that cornerback that eventually starts to rotate got, in there. They got to find him a new number. Yeah, yeah, he cannot wear the, the, <laughs> he's the wearing, throw on jersey. He's wearing it for all the special teams, and yeah, I don't know. I, I 
look, as much as I love Grogan and, and Dickey, they need number 11. Yeah. They they need to honor it, but when you've got rosters as big now, you can't have retired numbers. Well, I'm going to tell you this. We're talking about the linebackers, and you brought up number 11, and it's very well known that K-State is trying to go after another linebacker, mm-hmm. and Michael Boganowski, he was there at the game today. He's number 11. Hmm. So, hmm. if you're listening to this, the power is at B. Not only do you need more jersey numbers, there might be someone who would wear it if they do decide to come to K-State. Yeah. He would fit in nice with those other guys. It makes you think about just how impressive this linebacker room is. I mean, regardless of what they do, uh, Steve Standard deserves some props. I mean, we, we know it's it's been known that he might not be uh, the recruiter that some of the other position right. coaches are. But he's just a guy that he he just loves football. Right. He just wants to. He's like I don't care. It's what's why Austin Moore is such such a good football player. He's a former walk on. If he's going to learn, if he's going to become a better football player, Steve Standard wants them in his room. And all of these guys are just just eating up everything from Austin Moore and Daniel Green. And I think a lot of that has to do with the culture, not just by Steve Standard, but from the head coach Chris Kleiman as well. Yeah. Yeah, this this program's in a good spot. But next Saturday, Saturday morning in Columbia, Missouri, it's going to be rowdy. Rocks will be thrown. If I know their fans, it's going to be a heck of an environment. It's sold out. They're so happy to sell out a game in the first time in five years. Um, congratulations, K-State fans. Um, look, they've sold out more games. I realize <laughs> yeah. that. But all right, why haven't they sold out a game in five years? That's the bigger question. You play in the SEC, you yeah. think you would be a little bit more excited to go yeah. to the game. Apparently, fans from the SEC aren't going to Columbia to watch games. Yeah, I wonder. Why. Yeah. But... Uh, They'll be a good test, and you brought it up. Those receivers are big time. In K-State, I'm going to be really honest here. They got away early last year, then it started to rain, and it was a huge advantage to K-State once it turned into a wet football um, because the turnover started for Missouri. If K-State can get away early, I feel like they'll be in good shape, but I have a feeling that game is going to go right down the wire Early spread is minus one K-State on the road, which is kind of a compliment, but I thought it would be more than that. Yeah. And it may end up being there. I think it'll probably be closer to four by the time we get closer to Saturday. But I just feel like Chris Kleiman and this staff, they take receipts. You know, Deion Sanders gets up there saying he keeps receipts. Mm-hmm. Well, Chris Kleiman and company, they keep receipts. And you don't call a timeout on Chris Kleiman's team with 30 seconds left in the game when you're down by 40 points to try and get in the end zone. Along with the recruiting battles they've done, yeah, mm-hmm. there's going to be some, some of the nonsense that's gone on with that. There's going to be some added motivation for not just the players, but the coaching staff as well. Uh, it'll be interesting. The difference between Dion and Chris Kleiman is he keeps those receipts in his back pocket and doesn't talk about them. Yeah. Chris Kleiman just takes care of business, and Dion tells the whole world. Uh, let's talk about that real quick. I yeah. just want to bring that up. Colorado kicks the crap out of Nebraska. Nebraska's back. Um, <laughs> well, not the, back to being where they were. Yeah, um, that's what I meant. Um, Colorado looked better. I thought it would be a lower scoring game than what we thought. Well, it was cl- it was in the ha- in the first half. Right. I think it ended up a total at fifty. The over under was fifty nine, mm-hmm. but apparently Colorado's pretty good, yeah. and or Nebraska's just trash. So I I don't know, but. We saw Utah got a handful of from Baylor. Um, they ended up winning. Apparently, Baylor threw a late pick to just idiotic. But uh, this Pac-12 schools next year when they come in are going to bring some juice. Yeah, it's the conference is in a really healthy place. Oh. I mean, and how cool is it too to see 
TCU, Colorado, go, go down to the wire, week one, national television. Now, we didn't get a chance to watch the full game with Utah and Baylor. Was there a little bit of juice that was taken out because Baylor lost to Texas State? Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. But it would have been really cool, and that game went right down to the wire. So those are two future Big 12 games that go right down to the wire on national television. And, yeah, is the story Colorado and Deion Sanders? Yes. But I think story number two is Colorado coming to the Big 12 with Deion Sanders and company because you go back and you watch that TCU game. Gus Johnson is talking the whole time on the broadcast about how this is classic Big 12 football. I, I almost wonder if he didn't even know that they were still in the Pac-12. I think maybe producer had to tell him, hey, you yeah. know, they're still like in the Pac-12 for this year. But, uh, you know, that's neither here nor there. It's just how about Colorado getting big noon kickoff in college game day? together next week yes against colorado state big noon kickoff for the three third time in a row which is a little bit obnoxious joe clatt we know it's your alma mater but there's other schools out there i don't think he has anything to do with it you know what i love this conference and i think this conference is in a really good position even though some teams are upset we were just joking about tech and oregon which hasn't started as we're doing this I didn't want to touch that game. And after what Baylor did with Utah, I don't really don't want to touch yeah. it. I have no idea what's going to happen in it. But that's Big 12 football. You just don't know what's going to go on. And we saw that across the conference. But K-State, in a game in which it could have become a game like Tulane, dug, dug in in the trenches, nobody can run the ball, and they made more plays. That didn't happen. K-State overcame that against a really good, Good, sound Troy team that's probably going to win the Sun Belt for the second year in a row, and I love the Sun Belt. It's huge. It is. It's and huge. I, I I told you I walked away very more, very much more impressed than I did last weekend, and I think it's it's a combination of everything because we were talking before we started recording, but Kansas State had a five star basketball recruit on campus, and that's not even close to being the headline of today. I mean. K-State opens up the brand-new practice facility. They, they're coming off of a Big 12 championship. They welcome in a team that's won 12 games in a row, and they beat them by 30 points, and it's just another day at the office. Not just the football program, but the university, I feel like, is going on this upwards trajectory, and it, it deals with the conference. It deals with Brett Yormark. But it starts inside of the veneer complex because that coaching staff has finally found their groove, and – Combine that with what basketball is doing, and it's it's just exciting to think about the possibilities. It, it really is, and I think this season is going to end up being another special one. And I know people were worried about this game, you know, before the season, but I tell you what, if that game is any indication, when K State struggles and they still find a way to win by thirty, yep. it's going to be a fun year. Four over four. Let's talk about that before we close mm-hmm. up shop. Very interesting. We all watched the Sugar Bowl, what happened, the kind of meltdown before halftime in which they, they missed a touchdown pass, which, you know, was so regrettable because it did change the entire course of the game. They could have taken the lead before half. And then they give up the ball and give up a touchdown, which was horrendous. Then they onside kick and fails and they give up a touchdown. It was just a nightmare. It wasn't even four minutes at the end of the first half and four minutes at the start of the second half. It was less than that. But Chris Kleiman and the coaching staff has made this an emphasis. We're going to close halves 
with power, and we're going to open up halves with power. And they did that, Cole. They won those eight minutes of football, and it was crucial in this game. They never let Troy take control of the momentum because after they got it to 14-10, to we're thinking, okay, kick a field goal, get it to 17-10, and then at least you'll be 17-17 because Troy was getting the second half kickoff. Nope, went down, scored a touchdown, opened it back up, and Troy just was never in it. That was the game. Uh-huh. I mean, uh, uh, the game was over at that point, essentially. And I think most people understood. And I bet if you go ask those Troy coaches, if they can go back and change one thing about that game, it is when it is second and 18 after they sacked Will Howard, getting a stop as opposed to letting Will Howard, people forget this, break away for a really long run after he got that. That's a big play in yep. the game. And then he follows that up with the throw to Phillip Brooks. I, that is a game. And then they come out, and K-State gets a three and out when Troy comes out. I, maybe it wasn't a three and out, but they forced a punt uh, on the first possession when Troy got it after halftime because here we go again. Chris Kleiman wins a toss, elects to get the ball. He can joke about how, all he wants about how, oh, I just you know I just do whatever we feel like that game. But Colin Klein's in his ear saying, I got something mm-hmm. up my sleeve. And here we go, K-State scoring again on the opening possession. And then after – the second half kickoff, they get a they get a stop and force a punt. I mean, you can't ask for a better scenario. Impressive. K-State 2-0 on the season. Get ready. It's time to step into the vicious, relentless, unforgiving SEC. Yeah, they play at Missouri next weekend. But uh, I think K-State's in good shape going to Columbia. It's going to be a great game. Hopefully the weather is beautiful as it was today. Is it ever that beautiful in Columbia? That's I think question. it's always dreary and dreary? stinky. Yeah. yeah, stinky mostly. Yeah. That's it for the Powercat Post Game Podcast. For Cole Carmody, I am Fitz. We appreciate you listening. Make sure you check out our my walk and talk, all of our post-game coverage at Go Powercat. And keep an eye on that YouTube channel, The Insiders, Monday at 1.30, live on YouTube. Cole comes back on Friday with another walkthrough. If you're not watching the Friday walkthrough, you're missing out. It is one of our most popular programs with him and Monty Spiller. I think it's mostly Cole and not Monty. I would disagree. Okay. Mostly Monty and not Cole. (laughs) Um, And also, we have our pregame podcast also now on video every Thursday. We get the pregame podcast up on YouTube and our podcast channel so that you can have it nice and early and get a full absorption of what's coming up in that game. And we're going to have fun talking about K-State and Missouri. I'm Fitz, and we will talk to you real soon. Thank you for listening to the PowerCat Podcast. Make sure you're subscribing to our show at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts.